Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes I wonder why we're not more grateful. This text is a good reminder that it might just be our human nature. We're told that ten were healed, but only one came back to say thank you to Jesus. I'm curious about those other nine. Why didn't they come back? What were they thinking? If this sermon were to have a title, it would be Nine Good Reasons Not to Say Thank You. So let me go through them. Of course, there's more than nine, and I'm going to speak very generally here, so I don't mean necessarily that you agree with all these statements, but maybe some of them resonate, all right? The number one reason that we don't say thank you to God more often is we're just too busy. We don't have time to say thanks. We've got too much to do. The other nine in this story were simply doing what Jesus said, after all. He said to go see the priests. They had an assignment and they were focused on the task at hand. They had things to do and places to go. We're a lot like that. We've got stuff to do. We don't have time to stop and say thank you, even to Jesus. In the Jewish tradition, there is a practice of offering a hundred blessings a day. Now, it's my understanding that it's not done every day, but there are occasions where this is practiced. Throughout the day, you are to a hundred times stop and say thank you to God. And it's clearly prescribed. And if you do this faithfully, you have to stop almost 10 minutes, or almost every. 10 minutes, you have to stop and say thank you again. So when your eyes open in the morning, there's an opportunity to say thank you to God. When your feet hit the floor, it's an opportunity to say thank you to God. When you go to the restroom, it's time to say thank you to God, according to this practice. Before a meal, you say thank you. After the meal, you say thank you. When you see someone beautiful on the street, you say thank you. When you see somebody who's not so beautiful, You're supposed to say thank you. On and on it goes, saying thank you for the sun that's shining or for whatever the weather is. Even saying thank you for bad news is part of this practice. So throughout the day, everything is appreciated in some way. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Usually, though, we're too busy for that. The second reason we don't stop to say thank you is that we're not accustomed to living in the present moment. To say thank you a hundred times throughout the day, you have to be aware of what's happening right now and the opportunity that it gives for you to say thank you. We, though, are too preoccupied with the past or we're too anxious about tomorrow. We're distracted from the now. I was talking to Paige Shargoas the other day. She's a respected teacher and preacher in this community. She'll be leading our forgiveness retreat here at Richmond Hill in a couple weeks. And uh, she told me that one of the key theological teachings that she's found helpful in regard to forgiveness is the understanding that God is not in the past. God is not in the past. 
God is in the present and God promises to be there in the future, but God doesn't go backwards like we do. We tend to to think about what happened yesterday and mull it over and worry about it and try to fix it somehow. But Paige was telling me that when we do that, when we're preoccupied with yesterday, we're, we're literally godless people because God isn't there. God is here right now. And God will be with us tomorrow. Isn't that liberating? I need to go on that retreat. I hope you'll come with me. Yeah. Number three, we're too self-centered. We are unaware of anything beyond ourselves. And as a result, we're preoccupied with what we've got or we don't have or what we need or what's wrong with our lives. We have tunnel vision that prevents us from seeing others and what's happening in the world around us. As a result, we miss out completely on the bigger picture and what's taking place beyond ourselves, which leads me to reason number four, which is that we're actually functional atheists. That's a term coined by Parker Palmer. And what he means by that is that we say we believe in God, but our actions belie that belief. Because we act as if it all depends on us. I was speaking to a a good friend the other day who is in AA, and he was telling me that step three is often the key to a person's recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. That step one is about admitting that you're powerless over alcohol, and that's huge. Step two is coming to believe that there's a power greater than ourselves that can restore our sanity. That's critical. But step three is the key because that's the step where you turn your life over. You turn your life over to the care of that power. That's when the change happens. As long as I say, I got this, I'm not there. But if I can say, help me, God, then I've begun to remember that my life is not about me. My life is about something greater. And I don't have to solve all my problems. I can't solve all my problems. I've got to depend on something greater. Reason number five. We haven't accepted that hardship is a normal part of life. We want it to be easy. We expect it to be easy. So we're always looking for shortcuts rather than finding God in the struggle itself. We forget that God suffers too and with us, that suffering is central to the gospel, just as it's central to life. Until we can accept that life is hard, we will forever look for shortcuts and for the easy way out and complain when things are difficult. We have to learn the power of Mary Oliver's words. She said, someone I loved once gave me a box of darkness. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness, and it took me years to understand this too was a gift. Suffering is part of the deal, and even our suffering, when done faithfully and without grumbling, offers an opportunity to say thanks. The sixth reason we're not as thankful as we could be is that we have a scarcity mentality. 
We're afraid there isn't enough to go around, so we have to take what we can while we can. If we stop to say thank you, we might miss out on getting more. Fear of scarcity makes us wary of the other, too. We don't want others to take what's ours. When we're worried there isn't enough to go around, we marginalize others and we do strange things like build walls and set large tariffs or withhold goods to those that we deem unworthy. The story of the ten lepers takes place on the border in an area between Samaria and Galilee. Galileans then were not friendly toward their southern neighbors, the Samaritans. But Jesus is found walking the border. He is there on the edge, willing to minister to those perceived as unclean, and he blesses them. And as they make their way to the priest, they discover God's mercy and that they are healed of their affliction. While we might deal in scarcity, God deals in abundance. And we see it in this story. At least one in ten, the one considered doubly unclean, both a leper and a foreigner, is the only one who says thank you. Fear of scarcity keeps us from being generous and gracious, and it restricts our faithfulness. Number seven, we're expecting something better around the corner. We're not satisfied with what we've got. We'll give thanks when we finally get the right job, or find the right partner, or have enough money, or buy that beautiful house down the street. We're holding out until then, but then then we'll really give thanks. Number eight, we're too busy making comparisons. Comparing ourselves to others always leaves us feeling either superior or inadequate. And in either case, we're wrong. We are no less valuable than anyone else, nor are we any better. Accepting that can free us to not only be grateful, but to be truly ourselves. Here's how Henry Nouwen talked about it. He wrote, often we want to be somewhere other than where we are, or even to be someone other than who we are. We tend to compare ourselves constantly with others and wonder why we are not as rich, as intelligent, as simple, as generous, or as saintly as they are. Such comparisons make us feel guilty and ashamed or jealous. It is very important to realize that our vocation is hidden in where we are and who we are. We are unique human beings, each with a call to realize in life what nobody else can, and to realize it in the concrete context of the here and now. We will never find our vocations by trying to figure out whether we are better or worse than others. We are good enough to do what we are called to do. Be yourself, he says. Finally, number nine. To say thank you requires a relationship. And we're scared silly of relationships. We avoid intimacy and depth at just about every turn. We don't want to be that vulnerable with each other. And perhaps for good reason, maybe we've been hurt deeply. But God still calls us into relationship, healthy, whole, healing relationship. 
And again, it shows up right in the story. The one leper returns to face Jesus and offer his thanks. To say thank you requires that we, pres- that we are present to one another. It also requires that I acknowledge you and recognize you, that I see you, that I know that you are here and that you matter. It means that I have to get over myself and embrace your presence as well. According to this story, it is critical that we stop and take notice of each other. God commands it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love as I have loved you, which is exactly what the one leper did. He risked relationship and he found the love he needed, the life as well. He was an example of faith, surprising everyone because he was the one outsider, a foreigner, a Samaritan, the least expected to do the right thing. He defied expectations and showed what it means to be present, to be healed, and to be grateful. He becomes a shining example that faith is expressed through gratitude. May we put aside our common excuses and let God know that we're grateful too for everything. Amen.